0: direct quotation from jeremiah sometimes we go to the old testament and to the new testament and this one uh, uh hebrews actually gave us the old and the new together uh, uh exactly in this order but i will read just a few verses from chapter 8 that we didn't read um uh uh, uh from verse 5 that feeds into that prophecy that was read that uh, came from the book of jeremiah chapter 31 so um Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Let's pray again. Dear Lord God and Father, we do thank you that your words are true. And um, we do pray that your words would speak to us. We know that we are fallible, but you are infallible. And we need you to speak to our hearts by your spirit interpret to us as it should be interpreted blot out those things that are faults and errors and uh, highlight those things that are true and we do pray that you would be glorified amongst us we want you to meet with us we need to meet with you we've come here to meet with you we've come here to do business with god and so we pray that you would do business with us for your glory and your name and to our blessing Amen. Uh, uh, when I was looking at this passage, um, uh, uh, I was thinking of preparing for the turkey service, but that didn't really matter. But I, I, I was going through this passage, and, and everything shouted out all the time. And, and word after time after time, word after word, I didn't count it. The covenant, the covenant, a new covenant. Not like the covenant that was before. They did not continue in my covenant. For this is the covenant. In speaking of the new covenant. And then in chapter 9. Now the first covenant. Or later on in chapter 9 verse 4. The tablet of the covenant. Uh, 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 and it seems to be that the covenant is a thing we speak about. Now we come to this thing, and sometimes uh, uh, some people, and they're not familiar with the Bible or what's taken place in the history of it, and they think, "Well, what is that got to do with me?" Okay, that is that is old history. That you know, I've not. I, if I wanted to learn about history, I'd go to university and take a history course. But but you know, I'm studying engineering or electronics or something like that. I mean, that's something old. What does that have to do with my life today? In 2022, how is it affecting me? What influence, what has that got to say about the internet? What has that got to say about the way in which we're living or I'm living or anything like that? You know, what's it got to do with it? But I think that it's got something uh, 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 very big and very significant, but you've got to hang on in there a little bit, okay? You've got to follow it. You've got to stay awake a bit. I know um, sometimes it's been a little bit cold recently. Next week it's going to be warm. Okay, don't worry about that too much. But when it's cold, it makes you stay awake a little bit better. So the cold is a preacher's friend, really. It helps you to follow. Okay? So I'd like you to try to follow uh, 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 and think a little bit together. But when preparing, as I was saying, uh, a covenant shouted out. And so it should do, and it's very interesting to talk about the covenant and something grabs hold of you this agreement that God makes it's not an agreement that a man makes a person makes because you can't make one that's good enough you see so God deals with it and he's the big one and you're the small one and so God makes his covenant and this agreement but in that covenant it's not against you it's for you it's to encourage you and it's to bless you okay be confident in that because God is love and God loves you and he wants to bless you so whenever he does something like this he's for your benefit but it's repeated so often And then we know we've got the Old and the New Testaments, or some call it the Old and the New Covenant, so it's echoed there. There are two separated, and we say, by Jesus. We know the New Covenant has something to do with Jesus, like Edgen, when he was praying. Dealt with it. Shadowing the New is the Old. The Old and the New Covenants. And God ties himself to his creation and his people. And he has been faithful to it, and he does it by great promises and great agreements and great covenants, although we're dealing here with two covenants. They are, to some extent, one and the same. They're a continuation. They're not a separation. One is more effective than the other, but the two are strongly linked together, and it's a following. But we could say that Adam, after he sinned, There was a covenant made by God that the seed of the woman would uh, 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 um, squash Satan. And so there was a covenant that life would continue, okay? God was tying himself to something that would continue the human race. There was something that was taking place there. And with Noah, and you know what took place after Noah and the flood? There was a, and we see them very often here in Cyprus. When it's raining a little bit and there's plenty of sun, we see the rainbow, the bow in the sky. You know, this idea that 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 really it's almost like a a a, 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 a soldier's bow with a bow and arrow, where an arrow is firing straight up to God to keep that promise again, still echoing that God ties himself to something at the cost of God. At the cost of God, he promised that he will never again flood, finish the world by flood. And just as another little aside, do not be afraid by what Putin might do with nuclear weapons, or this, that, and the other, or what COVID might do, or anything like that. That the end of the world is not in the hands of mankind, it's in the hands of God. It is there, so be very secure about that one. Don't let anything else confuse your thinking with fears and and, and, and rumours of desperate things. He's God who loves you and loves his church and gave him himself for it, who has the last word, and he will have the last word, and he will not give that to humanity. So I just want you to be very certain about that. And so with Adam uh, and with Noah, there was a promise that the world wouldn't end that way. It's a sort of a covenant. God was tying himself to his word. When he speaks, he keeps his word. He's not a man that he should lie and then you've got this great covenant, though, that's echoed here. That is a continuation, but the other ones weren't uh, uh, um, uh, uh, detailed enough, of Moses. It came through Moses. It came when, uh, 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 you know, well, it was, it was said through Abraham as well. That in chapter 12, where it starts with Abraham and God promises that he was going to be, to, to bless Abraham and make him great. Then later on, I think it's in chapter 14, where you have this idea that animals were cut in half and Abraham went into a dream. It was a nightmare. But then later on, flame walked between the, the animals that were cut in half. You want to look at it later on? You can do. But he was saying that, that, that this life has to go for me to deal with you, to your human race. A life for a life. Your life is important, but God has to deal with something in the way of what took place to save you. The same as a Passover said, that a lamb had to be killed to save the firstborn son. It's always there. That something has to take place to keep you. And God so loves you that he's willing to get hold of you and keep hold of you. But it's going to cost something. And it's going to cost God. That which you've done wrong costs God, and God is willing to pay that cost because he loves you. So these these covenants were continually shouting that. And through Moses then we get these people had become God's people. They'd been called out by God, and they were going into a promised land. But as soon as he took them out of the land of Egypt, then he said to them basically, this is who I am. Therefore, I'm holy, and therefore, if you need, you want to walk with me, or you are called to walk with me, therefore, you will be holy as I am holy, and therefore, I will show you what that means. And he, and they had a temple and a place of worship, and God met with them at that place of worship, and in the temple, there were all these different symbols and significations, and they were all talking about Jesus, and we're not going to go into the details of those things. He didn't go into the details of them in this passage that they read, he said, we're not going into these things now. There were all these things that were going about, these details. But they were speaking about that, but not only that. He gave them these Ten Commandments that were dealing with how you relate to God and how you relate to man. And then he would de- gave them a whole range of other uh, re- rules and regulations that if you were going to be holy and walk with God, this is what needed to take place. But did they keep them? Did they do them? Did they bring them about? Did they follow them properly? Could they claim on the basis of their lives that God should follow them? Can you ba- claim on the basis of your life that God should deal with you? Are you good enough? And they was, the, the, the covenant was there though. God has said, you walk with me in this way, then I will walk with you. We will be together. Together. And there was this covenant, this issue that we read at the start of chapter 9. The first covenant, and I'll read the verses again because it was a long time ago when you were there, uh, read them. Now when the first covenant had regulations for worship, and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. He was speaking to Jews, and they knew these things. Hebrews speaking to the Jews. They understood what these things meant. We're not there. We're not in the culture. We don't quite understand it, but that's what the symbol was. Then having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, which in were the law, the broken law, the place of God, his holiness, in which was a golden urn, the manna and an staff, and the tablets of the covenant. They were called the tablets of the covenant. God's holiness declared to people, and above were the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, and all these things we cannot now speak of in detail. I'm sorry I'm reading a little bit fast, but you can read slower later on. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their duties, But the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional, the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy place is not yet opened. Once a year, the day of atonement, The Jews constantly had to keep the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. They had to keep it, and they still keep it. And on that day, they were still going to the the, uh, synagogue asking for forgiveness. They need to do it. It's there. Forgiveness needs to be taken place once a year. It had to be declared outwardly. It had to be stated outwardly before the people. The priest himself wasn't holy. He had to sacrifice for himself. He wasn't complete. It wasn't final. He was a shadow. The priest himself going in, offering sins for himself, and then offering, offering uh, uh, the sacrifice for the people. Anyone not keeping this was cut off from the people. It had to be done. Why? This ceremony has been kept for centuries. Not in the temple that it is there in Jerusalem. You know there's only the Wailing Wall left. It's not there anymore. They keep wanting to rebuild it. God's got rid of it. It's not there anymore. It's not needed to be there anymore because it was only speaking about Jesus and now Jesus has come. It has no significance whatsoever. He's got no sense of reality but why why was the ceremony kept for century? the priest when he went into this most holy place with uh, uh, this blood for himself he had bells uh, 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 embroidered onto his uh, 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 dress really you know the special priestly clothes and so when he was in that place you could hear him that, now if it was me going in there I mean, if it was me having to go in there, I, I, would be, I would be scared to death. Look, if this holy God, I'm meeting with the holy God, and what is he going to do with me? He's going to deal with me. And if he deals with me according to my sin, I'm going to die. And that was the problem. I'm going to die. And I would have been shaking. Those bells would have been playing a merry tune if I was in that center there because I would have been shaking like that. And those bells would have been tinkling like mad. Is he alive? Is he alive? Yeah, he's alive. <laughs> I can tell that. I've never heard so many bells shaking around. My knees would have been shaking. Martin Luther, when he was training to be a Catholic priest, he took hold of the bread, and the, when he thought it was really God's, God's body, and he shook and he spilt it, and he thought the end of the world had come for him. They'd got it wrong, but they were shaking. And the priest later on, they say, I uh, uh, read, I don't know if it's true or not, it's not in the scriptures, that they tied string round him in case he died inside. Nobody could go in and get him. He was a holy place. God was there, and that was the picture, and so they could pull him out if he died. And that's what the priest did. And all the people were outside waiting with bated breath. They were waiting. The soul that sins, it will surely die. Have you sinned? We're waiting. There's a day of atonement. There's a day of forgiveness. The issue was not so much the covenant. See, that's when I was reading through it. I was thinking covenant, 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 covenant but it's not. Do you know what the subject is? Look at 9 verse 9, which is a symbolic for the present age. Look, for, for the pre- according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. It's to do with the conscience. And it's later on, The hope of that is brought about in verse 14 when it looks at Christ, but when we're just looking at the temple, it was the conscience of the worshippers. In verse 14 it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience, our conscience from dead works? See, the problem is the conscience. So the crowd outside were sat there and they were looking Will this offering be accepted? Will God still walk with us? Will our consciences be clean? Ceremonially, it was only ceremonially. Look, unintentional sins, it says. For the intentional ones, it was different. We'll stand outside our unintentional sins. The things that we don't really know about, that we've done wrong. We've done wrong. This is God who is holy. And therefore, we've got unintentional sins. And there's the ceremony there. And it's going to deal with our unintentional sins. And will. God doesn't have to will he deal with it but god set out the design of the temple god set out the design of the way in which it worked god instituted this way god put the line of aaron to be the great high priest or the high priest jesus is the great high priest but the high priest not in aaron's line But Aaron didn't go and say, look, I want this job. Give me this job. This has got a job with a good payment. It's got a good pension plan. It's got a house with it and a swimming pool and things like that. I want the job of the high priest. You know, it's significant. The priest didn't have a great deal of things. In fact, the tribe of Levi hadn't been a great tribe in the past and they were uh, then not allotted land and inheritance. They were given certain things to allow them to continue, but it wasn't a great deal. But he was appointed, you see. God had appointed it. It wasn't those people that had taken it to themselves. God appoints it, and God sets it, and God deals with it, because the atonement was done by God. And so therefore they had a hope that it wasn't according to themselves. When people had, uh, you remember Aaron's sons, uh, by whom, well, the other one I forgot his name, but uh, 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 Nadab, uh, 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 offered strange fire. They took the way of approaching God into their own hands, and it wasn't going to be accepted. Every road does not lead to God. It never did, and it never will. Not as long as Jesus Christ is the one who came and died for your sins. Can you imagine that you can say to other people, yes, I respect your religion, it's good for you. It's not. It's bad for you. Every other one is bad for you. It doesn't help you. It doesn't save you. And therefore we have this Way of approaching God, and God put it there, and he says, says, look, 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 yes, I will. I'll accept that sacrifice. And he came out, and everyone's conscience went, yes. Oh, yes. He's with us again for another year. Oh, yes, our conscience is clean. Oh, yes, we're comfortable again. There was a stress building up. Would God accept us? My conscience is wrong. I've done wrong. Everyone's thinking the same thing. I've I've done wrong. 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 God might not accept that sacrifice because of me. The priest comes back out. Yes! Oh, yes! He's come back out. He's done it. God's accepted it. My conscience is okay for another year. I'm more comfortable. Let me walk holy with my God. And then we read, though, this passage about Je- from Jeremiah. After a long time, the nation had constantly been bad. Look at the history of it. Go through judges and it's not a pretty picture. Go through kings and it's not a pretty picture. It's not a glory of a people of God that are following him wonderfully. It's a people of God that are constantly falling and walking away from him and going into idolatry and doing wrong things because we're sinful by nature. And we get into Jeremiah and all of a sudden Jeremiah speaks and he says, I will establish a new covenant. The covenant, the proper one, the one that really does the deal, not the one that is shadowed every year, had to be dealt with by a priest that was going to get to 80 years old and die, and then another high priest, etc., etc., and had to keep going in and coming out and going in and coming out. Nothing to do with that at all. He said, I would do something that is what I had designed to do from the very start, which that is only a picture of, and there would be a new covenant. They did not continue in my covenant, Jeremiah says. They didn't do it. He was speaking to a people that was going into exile because they had not been following God. They didn't do it. They're being punished. They're going away. And so God says, the old is not good enough. But there was this great hope for this is a covenant that I will make with them. In those days, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. God, by His Spirit, was gonna deal with you in an individual and in a personal way, and that which He was gonna do would put His laws and put His ways into your heart, not as a thing that is gonna be so terrible that you're gonna to have to keep. It was a thing that you were gonna to have to, you were gonna to love to keep all of a sudden. It was something that was all of a sudden not outside that you do those things to be right with God, this terror of trying to be holy enough. It's something that God Himself, by His Spirit, was gonna dwell within your heart. And so instead of all your rebelliousness, he's going to change your very attitude to one of love for him. And he was going to take away all that sense and that feeling of guilt and wrong and difficulty that is oppressing your life and calling you all sorts of psychological problems. And he was going to put within you a new mind and a new heart. And he was going to write himself into your heart. And Jeremiah said it. It took 800 years before Christ came. But Jeremiah said it. The true covenant was coming. I will be merciful towards their iniquities and will what? Remember their sins? Would he remember their sins? What about their sins? He's going to remember their sins? No. No. More. that's God speaking not wishful thinking Jesus came into this insignificant nation oppressed and overruled by the Romans just a troublesome little group of people in the Roman Empire who was bothered about them God was bothered about his covenant. And in that group of people there was this little baby that was born to a poor family, to a carpenter, to a house builder. Mary was so poor that she couldn't offer a lamb when the son was born. She had to offer turtle doves. Poverty was around them. Oppression was the people that they, they were within. And he went round doing good and doing miracles and teaching and speaking as if he was the very God himself and taking that authority on himself and raising people from the dead. And they couldn't speak against him although they wanted him got rid of because they were thinking about their own pockets, even the very people that would go to the temple. And he went into an upper room with his 12 disciples one night after asking them to prepare this Passover, and what did he say? He broke the bread and said, take me, this is my body. And then he took the wine. And what did he say of the wine? This is the blood of the... The what? Thank you. In three of the Gospels, it says covenant. In one of them, it says the... New Covenant in that small room, in that insignificant place, in that terrible condition, Jesus said, that which was spoken in Jeremiah is now here, and I am about to bring it about. The new covenant. And what was the new covenant going to do for you? Again, he will purify, reading in verse 4, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He was going to purify your conscience from your dead works. He was going to forgive you for your sins and purify your conscience so you could live. So therefore you sit outside and when you come to church you go what's taking place here? What am I coming to church for? Why am I going there? To show off my clothes? To show off my regalia? To say so that people will say wow what a nice person he is. No, you're coming here because you know that your conscience is pretty cleaned and all of a sudden you come here and you go, yes, my conscience is clean. Yes, I am right with God. Yes, there's no condemnation. Yes and yes. It's great to be part of this group of people that can shout out, my conscience is cleaned. It's been made right have you been made right have you been changed have you been cleaned has it occurred to you has it happened to you now i can preach till i'm blue in the face and i can be nice or i can give you gifts and i can bribe you and i can do whatever i want to to try to get you to realize that in your conscience you need because that's the place where God meets with you. You need to meet with God. You need to know that your sins are there and you need to face them and you need to know that they need forgiving and you need to come to Christ for salvation. I cannot do that to you. There's no clever words that I can use. There's no uh, 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 way in which you, we can... What are what, what the people that stand up and they speak encouraging words for people? Motivational speakers. There's no motivation that can get near it. It needs to be the Spirit of God. Look, the Spirit. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates who through the eternal Spirit offered himself. You need to do business with God yourself. The Spirit of God needs to touch you and tell you that you need forgiving, that you are a sinner, and that you come to him. That's the way in which it works. Your conscience its the voice of God in your soul. C.S. Lewis said, if we continue to make moral judgments then we must believe the conscience of man is not just a product of nature. It is not just something that nature's thrown up to make you uncomfortable. It makes no sense at all. I'll read it again. If we continue to make moral judgments, then we must believe that conscience of man is not just a product of nature. It is what God's put inside of you for a specific purpose because it's there that God can meet with you. And God wants to meet with you. Now, do you meet with God? Have you met with God? Are you just following a religion of your families or have you really done business with God? Psychologists try to remove or reduce this damaging effect of guilt, as they say, because guilt damages. It has a massive effect on the way in which you relate to people, in the way in which you see yourself, on the way in which you're happy or unhappy and everything like that. And so they try to remove it. Some even, nowadays, acknowledge that people have got to face their guilt. They don't turn to God, but they acknowledge that you need to face your guilt because that's the only way in which you can deal with the wrongs that you've done. But they try to deflect it or get you to ignore it or rewrite it. Redefine your wrong. Don't feel guilty. Deny that it was wrong. Okay, you did it, but it wasn't really wrong. Who says it was wrong? Everybody does it. Okay, okay. Level out the wrong, but you know, inside it's not true. You know, inside you're killing something that should be alive. Always somebody else's fault. Don't you hear the echo of Adam? What did you do, Adam? The woman. Sorry, the woman. I'll point to the woman I'm not wanting to point to any woman around, it's just a general pointing. You know, I'll point at the clock, the woman, okay? The woman you gave me. It's not my fault. The woman that you gave. It's your fault, God. I'm going to be angry at the. Have you ever seen it come across it now that people are angry at the God that they don't believe in? It's a strange thing, isn't it? There. Okay, Eve, where's your problem with it? Satan. It's his fault, it's not mine. Get rid of the guilt. See the echoes of it. And we do it every day. We try to get rid of the guilt instead of facing it and dealing with it as it should be done. And it's done here. To pure God purifies our conscience and it's dead works because we think that we can put things right By ourselves. No, a child steals something, sweets or whatever, okay, money from its parents. And what do you think the child does? When the parents come home, the father comes home, what does the child do? He runs away and hides. Uh, Maybe, have you ever stolen as a child? Can you remember? I can't remember that far back. Uh, uh, Have you ever stolen? Can you remember stealing? Can you remember lying? Can you remember when you first did it? Can you remember? The guilt that you felt and you ran away and you hid somewhere in the corner, even though nobody knew that you'd done it. You knew you'd done it. As a child, you can't deal with your conscience in such uh, clever ways as we do as adults, and we get used to closing it down, so we get used to stopping it, and we get used to putting the barrier there. That's why it's very difficult for older people to come to the gospel, because they're so used to closing down their guilt and saying it doesn't really matter, and not looking at it. The conscience, if not dealt with, will have destructive effects on your life. The way you live, the way you relate to people, the way you work, the way you uh, think about things, the way you... Your whole life, you might be the richest person in the world and have a conscience seared and not being able to look at people without thinking of them as something no more than animals because you've made yourself into an animal. You can't see the effects, but the effects have to be there because it's God's work within your heart. Oscar Wilde uh, uh, wrote a book. Now, I don't advise you to read Oscar Wilde's books, okay? Don't don't write Oscar Wilde. Yeah, I'll I'll read a bit. He He was a bad man, okay? But he wrote this book, which was A a picture of Dorian Gray. I've never read it. I've read about it, okay? A picture of Dorian Gray. And and, and, and as far as I can tell, this is what takes place, okay? This man, a young, handsome man, uh, uh, had a picture of himself painted, and it was a very good likeness. And and the young man was handsome, and, and they say beautiful, really. And the picture was like that of him. And then he made something called a Fawzian bargain, where the picture took the place of the man, and the man really took the place of the picture to, to any great extent. So when, the, when, when changes took place in the man, they were reflected in the picture, not the man himself. And the man was a debauchery. He was bad. He was into just hedonistic lifestyle, just living for himself with no guilt. He didn't want the ravages of guilt to affect his life because even then Oscar Wilde recognized that people's lives and the way in which they looked and the way in which they were was affected by the guilt that they carried within them negatively and it could even ravage them like you could see that certain prostitutes look a lot older before their time because physically and emotionally and mentally and all those sorts of things, they get ravaged and it makes things very difficult. God is a great forgiver. I'm not talking about anything to do with that, but I'm saying that that's what takes place. And, and so this young man lived a bad life. And the picture got increasingly uglier because he was carrying the reflection of all those sins and the guilt that that man did. He wanted to live a life of debauchery, didn't want the scars in his own life because it was a cost for daily living, so it all came onto the picture. Then 18 years later, as the story goes, He went in, and the picture, he unveiled the picture and looked at the horrific mess that was looking back at him. It so shocked him, he took a knife and he went and stabbed that picture. He wanted to destroy the ugliness of that picture. It was so shocking. And the next day, someone went into that room and they found an ugly man. Ugly and twisted and deformed dead on the floor with a knife in his heart and a beautiful picture of a young man as he used to be. Your conscience will destroy you. It cannot be hidden. You can do what you want with it. God will keep it there because he needs to, he wants to, not needs to, he wants to deal with you and it's his friend in you because that's the place where he can touch you. And he can say to you, you're distant from me because of your sins and you need to repent and you need to come back because I will heal you. I will heal you. I have a covenant with the Father as we spoke to the children. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flow? It's easy to sing. Paul cried, who will save me from this body of sin? Praise be to God, Christ. Praise be to God Christ! Have you seen it? Have you seen the great good news that your consciences can be cleaned? you can be made right psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. God will deal with you in Christ. There was this story about an evangelist in the u k and he was um, uh, uh, he went uh, uh, to a university to run in, in, in the u k and America and thinks run these crusades at universities i don 't know if you have them in Nigeria or other such places and he came and he spoke, and, and, and as he spoke, there was a girl came up to him afterwards. Now, this girl was, was the worst girl of the university. She was into drinking. She was into smoking. She dabbled in drugs a bit. She was sleeping around, real rebellious. She came up to him after one meeting, and she said, oh, I've trusted Christ. And he looked at her, and he goes, oh, I bet as well. He just didn't believe. You know, that, There's no way that's taken place. No way. The next day, this young girl came up to him. Didn't recognize her. Didn't recognize her even. She said, all night, I've been breaking my heart. God's been dealing with me on the sins that I've been doing. She was found in her right mind. God had forgiven her all the rebellion, all the wrong, all the things that had taken her into that terrible position. God dealt with you. See, preachers can speak, but it's only God the Holy Spirit that can do anything in your heart. Do you want God the Holy Spirit to work in your heart? Do you want to really do business with God? Not business with success. Not business. He doesn't deal with you on the level of finances. He deals with you on the level of your sin and your heart and your conscience. That's where you meet with him. That's where you have to meet with him. Christ alone, our great high priest. These high priests went into the holy place, into God's presence with a sacrifice every year to cleanse and appease. And he had to do it time and time again, but Christ was appointed. Who will go? Send me. Christ was appointed. He was appointed by the Father to do the job that he was done to do. It's God in Christ who reconciles. He spared not his own son. God did it. God did it. He appointed Christ. He didn't take the job himself. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and how he stepped down. He didn't see equality with God, something to be grasped. There was no arrogance with it. That arrogance with man would state that he was not able to do the thing that is deal with sin. Because even if we could, we'd be arrogant about it. And there was no arrogance with Christ. The true one who completely, once and for all, not with a guilt offering for his own sins, but only with a guilt offering for your sins entered that place. And the priest, when he came out, life, he'd come out from the dead. He'd come out from meeting with God. He'd come out from it. Jesus, he came out from the grave that we're going to celebrate at Easter. Death couldn't hold him. He'd done the job. The sacrifice for sin was accepted. That's how you know. Are your sins forgiven? How do you know Christ has risen from the dead? He took my sins away. It's not just some sort of argument for the scientists. It's what happens to make you clean with God. Your sins of now, of this morning, of yesterday... Not just the sins that are unintentional. Your intentional sins have been cleaned out. Oh, that was just a mistake. No, you deliberately did it. How are you going to get rid of it? It's coming after you. It's chasing you. When you stop, it comes back into your thoughts again. The guilt that you have because you've done wrong. You've lied. You've cheated. You've stolen. You've 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 hurt somebody. You've gossiped about them. You've done all these things. How are they going to be dealt with? Christ looks at you and says, I can deal with it. The blood speaks a life for a life. No condemnation. Now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. The conscience clean. No hiding from him. Let God who loves you do that. Do business with God. Don't harden your heart. Don't trust in your clean suit. Don't trust in your position in society. It does not impress God. It does not impress Jesus. What position did he have? Naked on the cross? There's no position there. And that's the position that you've got to come to kneeling before that one, nailed on the cross of no significance before the world, and say, that is my Saviour. He is dying my death. Deal with Jesus. That's what you've got to do. Have you been to Jesus? For the cleansing flow, that the Holy Spirit would come and meet with you and me. And show us our sins and show us the Saviour. That I believe you come daily, forgiveness knowing the effects of those sins that even then if you hold them in your heart they will cause destruction but they will never take away your eternity but you need to come the high priest entered the holy place he came back out again the doors were shut Jesus entered the holy place with his blood and the the, 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 the the curtain of the temple separating the most holy place was torn from top to bottom God threw open the doors he threw open the doors that none can close. There's no priest that needs dragging out never to close so you can have eternity with the Holy One. It's a better thing. This is the God who loves to forgive the Father sent the Son. In this, uh, 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 in Shakespeare, there's um, uh, uh, this play called Macbeth. I've never read it fully myself. Um, English people often have to do it at school. Has, has anybody had to read Shakespeare? Uh, yeah, anybody? Uh, yeah, yeah. Pennell's read Shakespeare with some Shakespeareans. Uh, uh, the younger ones. No, no, sha- no more Shakespeares. You did A little bit. A little. You know. You know about Romeo and Juliet, dear. You? you know about the romantic thing. Oh, Romeo, Romeo, where art you? you know about that, don't you? Know about Macbeth? He was. Well, Andrew because he's Scottish. You see. So. These three witches came to him and the whole story's there that this King Macbeth and he killed to get where he wanted to be and then he had to keep killing. He had to keep covering up that which he'd done in the past and it got more and more and worse and worse, you see. You cover your guilt and it has to get worse and worse. But there was Lady Macbeth one night in one of those scenes and she was sleepwalking. And as she was sleepwalking, see, she'd been involved, she'd killed. And she was looking at her hands and wringing her hands. The smell of blood. I can't quote it. I don't know what she said. But basically, it was a smell of blood on my hands. And at one time, she said, could all the perfumes of Arabia take the stench of that guilt, that blood off my hands? In great pain, then she cried out, Oh, oh, I can't get rid of it. Does your sin ever encroach on you so that you say, oh, I can't get rid of this? Will nothing clean me? Is there nothing that can take away the smell of that sin and that wrong and that guilt and make me clean? Is there no escape? Oh, I'm dead. I'm done for. After I step off this planet, it's finished. Separation, eternity, without God, without Christ. Hell, is there nothing that can stop that happening to me? All the perfume of Arabia can't get it off your hands. Nothing can. But there is something that can. The blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, that can clean you so clean. He can clean you so clean he rose from the dead. He came to do exactly that. God in Christ reconcised the word. He spared not his own son. God does it. He makes and keeps the covenant promise to whiten your conscience. It's made with himself. And so it does not fail. There's a man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? I wonder if you've ever asked that. What must you do to be saved? What can you do to be saved? It's arrogance in itself. What must I do? I can do something. I can do something to be saved. Uh, Surely there's something in me that can actually work it out. I can work out the right things. I can believe the right things. I can read the right Bible. I can go to the right church. That surely will save me. I can go to a reformed church. That will save me, won't it? I can do good. I can stop drinking. That will save me, won't it? I can help somebody that's a little bit poorer than me. That will help me, won't it? Is there something I can do to be saved? Is there something that I can do? Whatever the cross of Christ stands, there is nothing that you can do The answer shouts back at you. No, you don't need to do anything. Don't stress yourself out. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. As Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, all that you had to do was look, turn and look at Jesus. He's not still on the cross. He's risen from the dead. Look at Jesus. Only believe. Sell all that you have and follow me, he said to him. Follow me was the key. Not the selling of all that he had. He touched him at the point where it wasn't the selling that got him right with God. It was the fact that he wasn't willing to follow Jesus with all he had. What's in your life that's stopping you following Jesus? What aims and aspirations that you've got that are hindering you? From walking with Jesus, from being truthful? What are they? Deal with them. Deal with them. With Him. Follow.